follow us on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. You will have to enter that in because the fact that we are adult content means that we have agreed to make ourselves unsearchable on their website. My name is Elle and I'm a sex educator. My name is Jen and I'm a private investigator. We want to learn more about ourselves. I'm like the boring vanilla one over here that's like, I don't do anything, but I'm, cu- I'm curious. And the fact that we're both sex workers means that we have insight into things taboo. Trigger warning, if you're easily upset by this stuff, maybe take a break. I have a feeling this is going to be weird. Sex and politics make for some very strange bedfellows. Erica Leroy, you are an educator, sexological body worker, natural therapeutic specialist, erotic performance coach, and founder of Creative Body Release, a personalized and holistic approach to letting go of disease, stress, and trauma in the body and mind by focusing on prevention, remediation, and reimagination of sexual health and lifelong well-being. And you are available for contact at info at creativebodyrelease.com. Yes. Yes. So I know you from a meetup group. Uh, It was a bunch of educators or sex workers that used to get together. Um, Jen, you're not familiar with Erica. I am not. And I'm so curious about what you do. I have to say your your job description and the description of your business is so awesome. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I'm like in shock over here. I'm like, whoa, that's cool. Freelance hustle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, so tell us how you got into the work of being such a freelance hustler. Well, my, so I was born in 1969, so I'm pushing 50 right now. You would not know this. Oh, thank you. If you were in the studio. <laughs> and at the time of my birth, my father was doing his study as a neurologist. And he ended up being the, f- among the first 12 people in the country to become certified specifically in pediatric neurology. Whoa. So I grew up, I have a unique take on the body-mind-spirit connection really from the get-go because I was raised in his clinic. It was pre-HIPAA, so I would go to the hospitals and hang out. And this is early before MRI. My father was the first person to have a CAT scan in his office. Really? Wait, your father was the first first person to have a CAT scan in his office, like in his building? In his actual office. In his, like the first person. In the country. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that about you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so that was fascinating because I actually, I grew up, you know, learning how to read CAT scans, learning how to read EEGs, but because he was pediatric, even before the, you know, the technology to look in from a very young age, he would come home and say, you know, today I had. I had a patient and they had a slight tilt to their chin and a raised shoulder and a tremor and he would have me embody what the child was presenting and then say to me, now how do you feel about the world? How do you, what do you mean embody? In what way? So, well, if, so for instance, if I, so if he said, okay, the child has like a the, the chin is tilted to the right, so mm-hmm. I would tilt my chin up to the right, and the shoulder is drawn up to the, the left shoulder is drawn up to the ear, so I would draw my shoulder up to the ear, and then maybe he'd say there's a pigeon toe on the right side, 
Mm-hmm. So I'd pigeon toe, and then so I'd get myself in the position, and then you say, this. and now there's a tremor, right? So now you're also you're shaking. Mm. So he said, so then I would be in this, you know, embodied position mm-hmm. because I have the, and I have the language that he's taught me. So then I'd be doing this, and he'd say, okay, now I'm going to try and teach you a math problem. Mm. Right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> now I'm going to ask you to, you know, tie your shoe. And so I would get into the position, do all of this, get in the tremor and say, you know, this is okay, this is what I'm feeling. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling I can't I'm trying to process and I can't understand. Mm-hmm. So that he could then he used me in order to get a better sense of how to do the diagnostics because back then neurology was about you know, what is presenting and, hmm. and what can you see? So that was a lot of how I was originally trained was to look at people in their bodies and say, huh, <laughs> you know, what's, what can I tell from your posture? What can I tell from your movement? What can I tell from your eye gaze? All of these elements that are just right there on the surface for how the body mind you know is processing i'm laughing right now this because is so jen's fucking like amazing <laughs> she's like doing the like mind blown thing over here oh but that's so funny to me because here i am in the middle and i feel like i'm kind of in between you two on this because i'm like yeah a lot of that makes sense i guess i do a lot of that at my work too and mm-hmm. and like as a sex worker jen you're hearing this so do you think this would change the way you hustled if you felt more embodied and more like paying attention to your clients' movements, because this is what I've started to do, and it helps me a lot. I mean, I think it's probably something that maybe a a lot of sex workers maybe do unconsciously, Mm -hmm. you know, already. But, I mean, I've I've never put that much thought into Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking of all the other ways that I could apply this as well, too, in, like, all of my relationships. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think what we're seeing right now as a as an epidemic, mm-hmm. you know, there are a couple epidemics that I think are going on right now. So one epidemic, because I also worked prior to being a sex worker, I worked as a classroom teacher from prenatal through adolescence. So I, I'm really interested in the whole of human development and how we get into our bodies in the first place, how we learn all of that. So one of the epidemics I'm seeing is that we're just, you know, it's only been in the last, hmm, I would say, at the most 20 years that we've even identified in young people anything that has to do with being on the spectrum, mm. right? And and so we have a lot of adults, and I would say especially adult males, who didn't get that kind of resource and help and identification and naming. And now they're out in the adult world, and they just, you know, one of the things about having sensory motor problems, and that's really what I specialize in, especially is sensory motor, is, you know, the inability to judge where is the right distance for me to be from your body so that I'm comfortable and you're comfortable. That's a very early wiring. That that should be happening, you know, somewhere between five and eight. Mm-hmm. I was going to say even before that, I think is possible too, because if either of you had ever been around my daughter who's six, I mean, we've been using body conscious language since she was born, her dad and I. Right. So, um, and a lot of telling her like, now I'm going to change your diaper. This is going to be cold. It's only going to take a second, you know, like Mm -hmm. 
instead of just like, this is what I'm doing to you. And at this age already, if someone, you know, comes up to her, if a little kid came up to her and like pushed her on the shoulder in a playful way, even she would be surprised at that. And she might be like, oh, that doesn't feel good. Please don't touch me like Mm -hmm. that. And it's amazing. Like you're six. Adults don't know how to use this language, but I've injected you with it. (laughs) I guess it, it blows my mind so much because I like I was raised on the opposite end. I was raised by a single dad. We were not a touchy family mm. at all. We were like a back pat, cheek kiss family. Mm. Um, mm. I've always had a bat, been very uncoordinated. We were not athletic. My dad wasn't athletic. My brother is an athlete. Like we were not athletic people. I was not coordinating. And I, I'm a terrible, I've hilariously, I'd been been an exotic dancer you know for years and years but it has it takes so much work for me to do the simplest things with Mm. grace like it's such a struggle for me and I've never had I've never been very comfortable spatially like it takes a great deal of concentration and I Mm. only have so much for it so listening to you talk about how this discomfort and your with your your own spatial awareness Mm. can affect like personal relationships is I'm just like yes that's me that's me that's I've struggled with this well our primary uh, environment is our physical body right I mean we grow you know we grow our physical body inside someone else's physical body so that's you know and and what's so fascinating about that is how you know the rhythm of our mother's heartbeat through the pregnancy is actually creating our relationship to rhythm Mm-hmm. Right. If she's anxious, her heartbeat's going to be different. Holy shit. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if she's stressed, her heartbeat's going to be different. So all the ways that we get that deep, you know, when we talk about core, right, this deep core neurological connection of the whole brain spinal path. Mm-hmm. So in the work that I do with. So right now, my focus in my bodywork practice is almost exclusively men's sexual health. Um, I one of the you know one of the ways that i got into this work is in 2011 my fiance died at the age of 42 of undiagnosed diabetes i'm so Mm -hmm. sorry thank you and you know it was a shock you know it was you know a very sudden went to sleep didn't wake up situation and in hindsight you know having been in alternative health and alternative health care for so long i was like how did i miss this you know how did i miss this how did i miss this and in hindsight there was really one significant tell and the tell was he had ED. Mm, mm-hmm. but erectile dysfunction. Erectile dysfunction. But mm-hmm. when we met, he he had that. I think what is a very typical ED profile, which was, you know, his story was, uh, I got out of a very painful uh, marriage. At the end of my marriage, my wife, you know, told me I'd never sexually satisfied her. That mm. my penis wasn't you know, good enough that she went and found somebody else. It was a lot of degradation. Mm. So when we met, he had, you know, gone from rebuilding that all I can do is be on the couch. I'm devastated. I thought I was a good husband. I thought I was doing, you know, all that, all that patter. This is so heartbreaking. (laughs) I know it's really heartbreaking. So, you know, when we met, he did what I would consider to be a very typical ED element, which is he was very, much about being a pleaser, yes. being a giver. Yes, right? which is which is great. Fabulous. And, which can be great, yes. <laughs> which definitely can be fabulous. <laughs> yes. So about three months into our relationship, I was like, let's talk about this because yeah. I'm a woman who really likes to fuck. 
So, you know, don't get me wrong. I love what we're doing, but, you know, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And he said to me, he said, well, you know, I have these waves where I can get hard, but then it subsides and I can get hard and it can subside. And it just trips too many women out. Mm -hmm. And it's just easier for me to do this because, you know, I've tried with other women and they take it personally and they don't understand. I was like, nah, fuck that. Let's just, if we have two hours, if we've created time that this is our respite, this is our sanctuary, then, you know, whatever, right? You know, if, if, and what turns us on, what keeps us going? So for us, it was, um, he loved cam, you know, he loved camera play. So when he had a slow way, you know, when the waves subsided, when he lost the erection, you know, I could keep going. We'd bring out the camera, you know, then at the time, you know, then when it would rebuild, it was like, okay, now we do this. Now we do. So I, I learned by being with him, you know, you just don't stop playing, right? You don't stop letting yourself relax with each other. So jump ahead and you know, when he died and I was looking back on, you know, was there a tell? Should I have known something? You know, as we remediated, because over the course of our relationship, he was able to get stronger erections, maintain stronger erections, you know, between the confidence and then just changing positions, doing all these things that help with erectile Being more comfortable, trusting you with his emotions. (laughs) Absolutely. Trusting his body, his own body, Mm -hmm. right? But I was always aware that the he he couldn't ejaculate it was very very rare that he could ejaculate inside me mm. and for me that's my favorite that's mm. one of my favorite comes <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for me mm-hmm. <laughs> right so yeah so you noticed so definitely. i noticed it but of course i wasn't going to you know knowing his psychological background i wasn't going to be like well mm-hmm. i've been noticing you know i'm unsatisfied because you don't right. ejaculate inside me and mm-hmm. you know i was just like let's just let this go so yeah. after he passed then i discovered that that's a very typical ed uh symptomology yeah erectile dysfunction usually begins like i think a couple years before the first heart attack for mm-hmm. patients who've had a heart attack if they go back they had noticed erectile issues like on average two years before mm, that's interesting <laughs> i haven't heard that but that that makes a lot well and that really goes into some so after his death i spiraled it i spiraled myself into you know a lot of dis-ease and ill health you know it was a lot of grief and rebuilding and um, I did the sexological bodywork training at that point, mostly thinking, okay, you know, how do I heal myself? Mm-hmm. I need a new career. Um, and that's a whole other story I won't get into <laughs> right now. <laughs> but that involves, you know, an interesting tale with the government. Oh, um, and, and then really getting to see once I started doing this, how there is just such an incredible lack of opportunity and information for men to understand this piece that you just said, Elle, which is, you know, how the the erectile health is the gateway into really seeing, is there something going on with my posture? Is there something going on with my blood flow? Mm -hmm. Is there something going on with my nervous system? Is Mm -hmm. there something going on that's in my control that, you know, I can take steps for that that I don't need to medicate. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's a lot of shame around this topic? Do you think that it's maybe not diagnosed as much because men are probably, af- I mean, probably afraid to talk about this. To tell their doctors. Mm-hmm. And, and their doctors yeah. don't ask. And begin, remember when I asked you, I said, has your doctor ever asked about your sexual health? Mm-hmm. And most doctors never will. How's your sexual functioning? Are you still getting erections regularly? Do you have any pain? You know, like I, 
I've never been asked that by my doctor. <laughs> I think a lot of, I mean, you know, from the research that I've done and the many, 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 many men that I've worked with now, um, the information is out there, but the information that's out there is strictly, and now you take a pill. Mm-hmm. And because I have always had a holistic viewpoint of how to work with the body, I want to offer other other options. You know, you're we're all dancers in this room. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the when I so I do my my ED assessment is the same. When you come see me, everybody gets the same initial assessment because what I want to be able to tell you at the end is where you are on a spectrum. Okay, right? so, so how would you do that? Um, how would I do? How, how would you do your assessment? So my assessment. So first, there's a talking time because what you want to do always. Well, f- let, let me back up and say this. Sure. Let me give you my my quick theory about yeah. ED. Oh yeah. Because it ties in with what we're what we were talking about earlier. Okay. So this is my this is my theory about ED. When we're born, we come into our bodies as a hundred percent, unless you have some kind of congenital difficulty. So we're going to put that to the side for a second. And, you know, that that's that's a whole other situation. But let's say you're born and are presenting as normal and functional. So you're 100%. You're in your body 100%. Now, the way that we wire our body mind is mostly through sensory experience, right? Our, our, our senses are really over the first years of life. That's how our brain is getting information and mm-hmm. continuing. My father used to say we, humans shouldn't really come out before two, but you know, we can't <laughs> physically do that. <laughs> so those first two years, we're still really activating the brain. Mm-hmm. So something happens. I saw this when I used to work in pre-K and kindergarten. Something happens around that age for boys where you know, they have a sensory tell. They have an antenna. So you watch young children and they're, you know, oh, there's a butterfly, there's a breeze, there's a flower, there's my teacher or my mother or my neighbor with a warm smile. And eventually what happens in the fully embodied young boy is that very innocently, you know, the antenna will also respond to the sensory signals of the world that we live in. And we then say, that's not okay. You need to control. So here we're asking very, very young minds to now have an awareness of a part of their body that is designed for sensory feedback and stimulation to now say, you have to now figure out how to control a part of your body that really, in a sense, has its own are we talking about penis? I'm talking about penis. That's here. a lot of yes. pressure to put on a young person. <laughs> it is. I mean, that's it is. It's a lot. Of, so, I'm 40 and I can't control myself. Like, you mean like time. your pussy? Yes. Or anything. I mean, it's like saying yeah. don't blink. Or don't cry. Or when don't cry had, or know, suppress like, a sneeze. I mean, all of these. Yeah. All so you of mean this, like suppressing natural arousal or pleasure or touch? Suppressing, yes. Okay. I, and okay. response, right? So, so what happens then is because it is such a high level thing that we're asking young people to do is what we tend to see then is that very early boys tend to then just do a mind-body split mm-hmm. because it's easier to just be ahead with a body. 
mm-hmm. than it is to be fully in your body having to control this one element. Wow. Well, what about just enjoying pleasure that's not seen as masculine? So like a little boy being like, oh, there's a butterfly. Like at what point I think some boys stop pointing out butterflies because butterflies are for girls. Duh. You know, just right. something like that. Right. It's just how they're socialized. Well, yes. I mean, there's absolutely that. Well, and, and we societally, we send incredible mixed messages because then we say, you know, all of this sensory pleasure of the world is really designed more for the female mm. eye. And then sensory pleasure for the male is the female. Mm. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. I mean, that's right. I mean, Please don't drop my mic over there, Erica. Okay. It's expensive. <laughs> right. So, so we start, right. So we don't exactly, we don't say like, you know, put on those ungents and play, you know, the dress up activities for boys are very different than the dress up activities for little girls. So now we go further on and we say, okay, well, definitely God forbid you get an erection, you know, in school or in the locker room. Which and just happens. It happens. Yeah. And then you're shamed forever. And then, so then what we, so basically what I see is that, is that by a time, by the time a man gets to the age where ED really starts to set in, which is, you know, late twenties, thirties, forties and above. You people have. listening I want to pause on that people are like late 20s oh, yes yeah. absolutely especially if you drink yeah. a lot of alcohol yeah. eat a lot of bad food and I'll just caveat by saying that you know I want to be clear too that within the scope of erectile dysfunction more and more we're seeing it in the early 20s but what we what we tend to name in the early 20s is more of a premature ejaculation issue. Right. And that's anxiety issues. Well, you know, you also. have a dog, Elle, and I like to, I like, I'm going to, I'll detour a little bit here, but I like to talk about this in, in terms, this is the, the picture I like to work with is, um, you know, did you crate train your dog? I did not. Yeah, I didn't crate train mine either, but it works Me as, uh, yeah, but, but we all know what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So I wish you, I had. <laughs> Well, if we think about the penis like a crate trained dog, right? Okay. Here you have this situation where, so let, let me go back to this piece. Let me just finish this other sure. thought. So mm-hmm. what we have is by the time we get into our 20s and 30s, 40s and on, we've created a mind-body split where we say 97% of your waking life, male-bodied people, you cannot be 100% present in your body. What do you... I mean that you have to go around your existence and you have to ignore the fact that there's this part of your body, the penis, that is designed to be engaged in the sensory world. But the sensory world that we live in, uh, it's a danger to you and society for you to actually be aroused by that 97% of the time. So you need to crate that dog. Mm. (laughs) Keep that dog crated up, Mm. right? It's, yeah, it's home. You're out in the world and your dog is your 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 penis dog is at home in the crate. Now, now we're going to give you three percent of your life. And I know your listeners probably are like three percent. This is more like 80 percent of my life. But three percent of my life is what we call sex. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so sex is then bring out the dog, open the crate. So when you crate train a puppy, you know, when you're beginning the dog training, whether you crate train or not, you know what happens, which is you when that dog, when you come home and that dog is like, I've been waiting for you all day. Mm-hmm. First thing that happens <laughs> is it pisses all over the floor. <laughs> right? Am I, yes. I don't, I don't know. I didn't crate train. <laughs> right? But, well, but in any training, you know, yeah. that's the, and then you get it to gradually, you know, come, you know, you need to wait. 
we're going to take you to the door. We're going to get you outside. You know, we want you to be successful. So the penis, so premature ejaculation is a lot of that kind of energy. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, I'm finally being allowed to come out. Mm, pent and, up. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Do you think it. this also expresses itself in, in other ways? Like when men at, I don't know, because there's also the men who can't act appropriately at work or in social well, yeah they don't know how they don't have the practice and nobody's i i don't want to say controlled by their dicks but sometimes it feels that way when yes. i'm like dude you can't hit on me in this right environment I, do you think this is another symptom of that maybe is that they're i don't know their masculinity or their arousal has been squashed and it pops out it's not that their masculinity has been squashed. I think their their intimacy has been squashed. So they're okay. not they're not looking. I feel like when my customers who are the most dick central, like focused, like trying to grind super hard or mm-hmm. just don't like the dance unless I'm actively like rubbing or stimulating, you know, like mm-hmm. it's all about the dick. It's all about the dick. And I those are the ones that I have the most fun, like rubbing their shoulders and mm-hmm. nuzzling because it's like, look at how good this feels and has nothing to do with your yeah. cock. Right. Well, and that's and that's my so going back to your question about my sessions, what I try to do more than anything else is say from the moment you start to interact with me, what I'm offering you is an environment where you can be 100 percent in your body. Mm, I don't care if you have an erection or you don't have an erection. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you you know, it's not there. That's not the focus at all. It's you. You you spend you know, the majority of your life, not fully in your body. And then for most men, the, the sexual part, like you just said, L is then entirely yes. dick focused. Yes. So again, you're not a hundred percent, right? It's your 97 ah. or your three. Yeah. They're like, now's the time. Right. So it's cock party. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, when you, when you have an opportunity to be a hundred percent, then what happens in the body is this deep state of relaxation and returning to this young core self when we had this in the beginning. I mean, a lot of times people look at me like, oh, when I just state the obvious, which is, you know, the first two years of our life is all information is coming through consistent genital touch Mm. i mean diapering Mm -hmm. is the majority diapering and you know feeding is the majority of how we're getting information about love about trust Mm -hmm. about the way that our family unit is you know messaging and yet then we you know kind of pretend like okay now once you're potty trained we just sort of leave the fact that like oh you know you've just been responding to the world through this part of your body, but now everything's going to be up in your head. Right. Mm -hmm. Attention service and sex industry workers. Seeking Space Yoga is dedicated to providing a holistic option for after your shift with new 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. class times. Seeking Space is rooted in empathy, and they've combined creative flows and experienced teachers to provide a safe, inviting space for any and all wishing to find peace on the mat. Need a little motivation? They are offering 10% off on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the Seeking Space Yoga app for more information and a full list of class times. Passion by Kate is an award-winning resource for women and couples who crave a more intimate, exciting, and fulfilling sex life. Passion by Kate's affirming writing 
workshops, and one-on-one -on -one counseling help you create a new level of openness and intimacy with your partner without feeling awkward, twisting yourself into a pretzel, or spending hours a day on intimacy building activities. Learn more and find hashtag freedom and pleasure at Passion by Kate. That's K-A-I-T dot com. Mention this podcast to receive a complimentary 30-minute counseling session when you purchase any Passion by Kate product or service. If you're looking to jazz up a jacket, bag, or just your fine self, our friends at Gimme Flair have everything you could possibly need. Gimme Flair is the largest online retailer of pins and patches that range from the cute and sweet to the snarky and slutty. They are sex positive, queer friendly, and aim to crush mental health stigma, all with fun flair from around the globe. Check out gimmeflare.com to browse items from over 250 plus artists. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. We are here with Erica Leroy. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about, so uh -huh. it's funny. I have such a hard time even trying to explain. You said earlier you became certified as a sexological body worker and there are programs for that. I know of one in Canada. Uh, where did you go? So I went to the program at the Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality, which was in San Francisco. And unfortunately, they now no longer offer this program. But I chose them because at the time, they were the only program in the country where their program was actually certified through the State Board of Education as a career technical vocational training. Wow. Oh, wow. Yes. And no longer, but no longer, you said. Well, they lost their accreditation. Okay. But for me, you know, as a as an older woman who comes from a lot of, you know, I ha I have a lot to lose, I guess I could mm -hmm. say. Um I really wanted something that had that backing of, you know, this is official. Mm -hmm. Right. They still do the trainings. They have them in Canada, they have one in LA, but they're now the 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 trainings are now no longer officially you know, vocational ed. See, that's really unfortunate because I was going to say you are one of only two um, body workers in Portland. And the other one that I've spoken to, well, two that I know of, but the other one I've spoken to had gotten certified in LA. Um, and there needs to be more of you mm -hmm. <laughs> because we're figuring out why this work is so important. Right. Um, so you have to advertise kind of on the DL. I have been. I mean, you know, some of that is personal choice. I'm old school. I like I like direct referral. I'm too lazy to spend my day on the internet. <laughs> no, you're smart. You're smart. Direct referral yeah, yeah. is the way to go. Well, and I had a That's stripper. That's how I get all my work, uh, yeah. too. Yeah, I had a stripper the other night. She's like, how do I, I want to start selling porn, but how do I advertise? And I said, print business cards and hand them to every yeah. single person you give a dance to. Exactly. You know, because exactly. we have to get off the internet now post-FOSTA. Right. Yeah. Well, so when I first did, this is interesting. So when I first did the training, um, so I've been a licensed massage therapist in Oregon since 1991 mm. and do not want to lose my license. So when I was doing the training, I was like pouring over the board, you know, all the, the legal things in the Oregon massage boards. So after I did the training and I spent a year not charging, 
so that I could just get my hands on an, on a lot really? of people. Yeah, I, I wanted to not be bound by uh, the legal da, 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 da of it and just get my hand on as many people as possible because I felt like, especially around prostate work, I just really needed to get my hands literally inside of people and understand mm-hmm. what's going on. Can I see your nails? So right oh. now, I have, but right now, I, 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 yes. little to, to, barely to the fingertips. Barely to the fingertips. Now they're actually even a little bit longer than normal because I just had my family in town for two weeks, gotcha. so I haven't been working. So I'm like, oh, isn't that great? Know, that's not nice. Isn't that great? I was just comparing. <laughs> personal note here: you said something about autism and and mm-hmm. stimulation earlier, which I love because I'm actually working on um, a research paper about autism and sexuality. Mm. And my partner's on the spectrum. My daughter's on the spectrum. I am arguably somewhere Asperger's I've been told by my therapist and most of my family. Um, (laughs) and anyway, but we were talking about, um, my editor actually just showed me a term stimming, which is a term used for repetitive stimulation, uh, movements, behaviors. Uh, it's the language that I think the, the, the spectrum community is given to it. But I asked partner, I said, I've never heard of stimming before. Can you think of any like repetitive motions you, you do during sex or otherwise, because Mm. like drawing circles on someone's back or tugging their hair, like in a certain pattern, these are all things that I just thought people kind of did. And then, so when I brought it up to boyfriend last night, he says, well, you know, I think that stimming might be a nicer way of saying kind of fidgeting, but just, Um, he says, these are my things. And he showed me, he's like, I'll do taps with my fingers. And I've noticed him kind of doing these things, but he's not really typically incredibly agitated when he's around me, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, so I said, well, I actually, since the age of, I think about when I learned to type, so about 11, um, I have a habit of typing out I'll be anywhere. I can be doing anywhere. I'd be trying to fall asleep. I could be at uh, traffic, but I'll be typing invisible keyboard. What do you want from me? What do you want from me? What do you want from me? I'll do that. Interesting. So, well, what it brings up for me is going back to what I was saying at the beginning about, you know, this neurological, how you get into somebody's body. And so much of this is language around, you know, we, we call, you can call something fidgeting mm-hmm. and fidgeting by its very nature, then brings up this sense of this is this is because someone is anxious in their body Mm -hmm. this is this is a Mm -hmm. this is an anxious loop Mm -hmm. which is stimming is a self it's Mm self-soothing it's like sucking your thumb or twirling your hair or these things that you see babies do there's so from the outside eye I might look at you and you know be like oh you're fidgeting all the time Mm-hmm. Right? And I saw this when I, because when I was working as a classroom teacher, I had a lot of kids who were, had sensory motor issues. Um, and it would be very easy to then make it into a, a degradation thing, mm-hmm. right? Why are you doing Why that? Why are you Stop doing that? that. Mm-hmm. The language around stimming when we're talking about autism and Asperger's and all that really is about identifying, oh, this is the way that this person mm-hmm. helps their Copes. body not be anxious. Mm-hmm. I'm in an anxious situation, and this is a soothing technique. Mm-hmm. This and, isn't a, a, and there's a lot of also conversation around um, the idea that people on the spectrum don't or can't have good sex lives. Of course they can, because when they're fully present, really, yeah, well, it's, it's bullshit. I mean, when an anxious person person, whether or not they're on the spectrum, but if they're having present good touch, they will calm down. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the ways that my partner, I noticed like I myself and he, I don't believe we're ever more present in the world than when we are having good connective sex. So it is very therapeutic. 
Um, well, you know, I'll just jump in here with this, that, you know, the thing that my father taught me more than anything else in his approach to neurology is that there is no greater healing tool out there than love. Mm-hmm. You know, love, unconditional love. Love is that stimulation of oxytocin. And we know that oxytocin is the bonding hormone. It's the trust hormone. It's the love hormone. So when you create, anytime you, and this is a big part of the work that I do, this is the 100% presence, is, you know, by inviting the body, by giving the body an opportunity to be in a sensory stimulating environment where the music and the mood and, you know, the way I talk, the way I dress, all of these things are designed to make the senses active, right? Because what you want is to stimulate the oxytocin so that the oxytocin then gets released into the body and says, you know, you're good, you got this, <laughs> right? The world, we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. The world's okay. Mm-hmm. And when you create any kind of environment, whether it's a parent-child relationship or a partnered relationship or a work relationship, anytime you create an environment where the oxytocin mood is there, what you're going to invite is the next level of growth. Mm-hmm. I can't because the essential human quality, what we're looking for as human beings is we have a need to be seen, to felt, you know, felt that we're being seen, that we're being heard. And by seen, we mean acknowledged, and by not seen, like right, looked at, not looked at, right? Like, that we're being, we're being acknowledged for who we are. Mm-hmm. We're, so we're being seen, we're being heard, and we are being given an opportunity to be totally okay with the fact that this is where I'm at today. And yet you, in your love of me, are inviting me to stretch myself a little bit further to maybe get to the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step of my growth so that I can keep growing. There's no final you mm-hmm. know, piece. So for me, while I've used that in all of my other work, now I use that for ED because if I can create an environment that says you can grow, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, then the penis goes, ah, oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, no one has been giving me that message for a really long time. And so I've just pulled back and pulled back and pulled back and pulled back. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's not anything about the legality, but. Mm. Oh, that's okay. So I know, right. I forgot. It's a good conversation. Uh-huh. Well, it is a good conversation. Um, so, I mean, but I mean, no one in this environment, no one's going to come after you for the work that you do, but you also like keep such a low profile that you're not a concern to say any law enforcement, because let's be honest, you're not the people they target. Apparently Stormy Daniels is a sex trafficker. Right. Right. You know, I work with a sex attorney and I have them look at all my marketing material. And, you know, basically it's a lot. I mean, first of all, they're not going to come after me generally because, you know, I'm I'm clearly not being trafficked. Um, You know, this is all consensual work and I'm just really good with my language. So, you know, the. And I'm not a full service provider. I mean, Mm. I am a I'm a hand. I believe from my years of being a teacher, I believe that there are certain people who learn best through direct education that is experiential. Mm -hmm. You know, some people can read. I mean, Elle, I love reading everything that you write. And for some people, reading is enough to then be like, okay, I can do this. But other people really need 
that direct experiential. And so, a, mm-hmm. you know, I really try to focus what I do on the educational side mm-hmm. and then also on the artistic side. So after I do the assessment part, you know, mm-hmm. which is then let me say, okay, in your mind, you're not where you used to be. That's usually the issue with ED, right? Is I used to be like this and now I'm like this. So, you know, if I can say to you, yes, you're like this, but compared to most 42 year olds that I see, you're fine. This mm-hmm. is good, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're at a good place and mm-hmm. we can work from here. Or, you know, you've got diabetes or heart issues and so we're not gonna be able to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just giving permission too when, when you tell people like, you know, it's actually really common to have premature ejaculation or just any kind of yes. erectile. Like you're not a small percentage of men that needs to go buy a little blue pill. You're actually like 30% of the population. <laughs> right. But this is where we really do. I mean, I feel if there's a part of me right now that is returning to my activism place, mm-hmm. you know, it really, I, I, again, because of my background with my partner, it's very frustrating to me because basically what men have is they can go to their doctor and they can tell their doctor this is what's going on and the doctor will give them a pill. Yeah, but that's not going to make their diabetes go away or their, I don't know, their eating habit or whatever right. it is that's Well, so then they'll say, right, the then you need to change your lifestyle habits or you need to do this. now, Or you can get referred to a PT, you know, if it's clearly like some pelvic health stuff. But again, a PT. Physical therapist. A physical therapist. Mm-hmm. But a physical therapist isn't really going within their scope of practice. They can't really look at the full arousal system. Right. Mm-hmm. right? And they that's can, why yeah. I decided to do the sexological body work training was, you know, I had spent a lot of my life doing body work and again, feeling like I don't think it's good for the body to do 90% of the body and then very much not focus on this. And so you're bringing shame and awareness to, to this. So when I saw like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to integrate the body, I was like, oh, why not? And it's incredible. I mean, the, so in addition to like the ED and all of those pieces of healthcare, um, I use masturbation. I, so a lot of my work is, once you have the assessment, then a lot of my work is masturbation coaching. Mm. So that falls in terms of legality. Then you get into things that are just legal anyway. So I can do lingerie modeling. Mm. I can do, I can, you know, share, share home movies. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, the, the opportunity for what's legal here in Oregon, because, mm-hmm. we have, you know, then opens up a lot in terms of, you know, what is already legal, but maybe... You know, unlike the environments where you are, my clientele tend to be people who don't want to go into a public space. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And they need a one on one kind of, you know, treatment that you're giving right. them. I mean, ideally, I would love for us here in Portland to have, you know, an erotic club that is where, you know, every person that's working is trained really in this whole what is the, you know, what do we really need to do so that this is a therapeutic healing experience and that people coming in are looking for that, Mm -hmm. you know, specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, But just back to, so in the masturbation coaching, I mean, you know, it's PTSD is, you know, you can, I mean, there's just, there's just beyond love, you know, a good orgasm is, (laughs) it's incredible what it does, Mm -hmm. you know, and pain. I mean, I have, Mm -hmm. I have not, had to go to the chiropractor for like the last 10 years. I can mm-hmm. adjust my spine, you know, by finding those places in the pelvis that are the... You are so fucking cool. <laughs> Susan, <I> love- <laughs> Thank this you. Being here with you this both. is great. This is great. See, Jen, I told you that coming on this show is going to change your world. Yay. Um, 
All right, let's let's do some listener questions. This is actually a letter because we had asked our listeners to talk about how they deal with dry spells in our third episode. So I'll just read this one um, and then we can answer the other two more briefly. All right. You've asked listeners how they deal with dry spells. Um, I'm a 37 year old cis white male. Just for a bit of context, I've been single for about eight years now. And in that time, I have only had three partners. One was a friend in an open relationship that decided to get permission to have a fling with me a weekend only. The other two were also friends, both single that just wanted some guilt-free sex. Neither lives anywhere near me. They were just in town at the time. I once had an arrangement with another friend that would make me custom videos and photos in exchange for a couple hundred bucks, and this worked out great for us. Clear conditions, no jealousy issues, etc. And though the idea of paying for sex doesn't bother me, I have never actually gone through with it. I actually don't even know how to go about doing it. So in answer to your question, how do I deal with dry spells? I can count the number of times I've had sex in the last eight years on my hands. I would consider paying if it were legal, convenient, and safe for all parties involved. However, none of those things are really true with how things are today. P.S. I am not an incel, (laughs) nor do I have any ideas in my head that women owe me anything, especially sex. Just so I'm clear, this problem is mine alone. And then a little heart. What a thoughtful note. Thank you. See, this is, this is, this is the tone. I don't know this person, but this is the tone that I feel I, I receive and I read from so many of my clients mm-hmm. that are like, fuck, man, I'm just kind of lonely, you know? Yeah. yeah. <sighs> I'm tearing up. So much lonely. I mean, mm-hmm. that is, that, that is th- my compassion mm-hmm. for people and, you know, male bodied people right now in particular, I just have a lot of compassion. It's, there's a lot of loneliness. Mm-hmm. I will say, you know, your, your letter writer didn't mention this, but I am going to September is prostate cancer awareness month. So I'm going to just promote here that, you know, there is a recent study that came out that says that, um, men should be having about 21 orgasms a month to lower prostate cancer risk. And Mm -hmm. what I have found is that while, while the, (laughs) of course I've got that is sort of the, that's actually, you know, that's BS that most men are, especially once they get in, if they're not partner partnered, Mm -hmm. um, and especially if they've already been partnered, they tend to think if I masturbate, I'm less than I'm, you know, I'm doing this, you know, because I can't get, and I just want to really say to, you know, all your listeners, you know, that have a prostate, um, you know, dry spell (laughs) or no dry spell you need that, you know, there, the, the science shows 21 ejaculations a month. Yeah. You, you, it just helps everything. The, it just helps the health. It prevents mm-hmm. the organs from atrophy. Someone should make a little app that tracks it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> make sure you get your 21. Get your 21 in. Master tracker. Yeah. Yeah. Masters with a U. <laughs> I hope by the time, like right after this comes out, somebody's already made that in Silicon Valley. Uh, so cute. So here, uh, Jen, do you want to read this question? I will. Okay. I have never reached an orgasm, not even when I tried to masturbate. To me, it feels extremely awkward, and to be honest, I don't feel anything. It is better for me when I'm with my partner. Is it my body, or am I doing it wrong? Okay. This is a cis 
gender woman. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, however, how old do we know? How old? She no, is? I mean it's good because the information we can give could be gender non-specific. Uh-huh. But I did want to give you to a little bit of nudge in in the direction of this specific question. Um, also, we're talking so much about penises. Uh-huh. Let's talk about a vulva. Yeah. Um, I didn't have an orgasm until I was twenty-four. Really? And I was having sex obviously like way before then and lots of sex and some good sex it was start i think it was starting to get good in my early 20s you mm-hmm. know so i got a little more comfortable with myself and my quality of partner mm-hmm. <laughs> right got a little bit better but it's still for me having an orgasm takes sometimes takes an incredible amount of concentration mm-hmm. and this is and i've had lots of practice having them mm-hmm. now and sometimes it's still takes mm-hmm. it takes a while sometimes it's a chore so don't you know you, you're definitely not weird there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with no. you if it hasn't happened for you yet well and also if you don't like masturbating that's okay some people just don't care for it I know yeah. people that I mean I know someone who's married and um they're kind of like you know I just my part my husband turns me on and I just don't really feel like I want to at all which is Similar, but not different. I mean, there's the there's the women who might have like, well, my hair, my husband should be able to get me off or my boyfriend should be able to get me off. It's like, no, dude, you are your own sexual freedom, like own that shit. Um, But if you actually don't prefer to masturbate, that's okay. Or since it sounds like you're frustrated, I would say try doing it many different ways. Watch some porn. Like if you stand, try laying down. If you're laying down, try standing up, try kneeling, go in the shower, buy a cheap vibrator. Um. Yeah, as I'd say, the vib- discovering vibrators is mm-hmm. what, <laughs> what or, turned that around right. for me. For you sure. might, or maybe just um, do the opposite of everything I just said and like go in a dark, comfortable place, put some music on to where you feel like comfortable or clean or sexy or whatever, and just kind of touch yourself in a way that feels good. Don't even think about it. You know, right. just let your let your hands fall where they may. And there's actually, um, there's other good training for this too, where it's like, you put on some music and you just let whatever happens happens. There's no goal in mind. So if you start touching your nipples and you realize it feels good, okay, cool. Go from there. You know, like don't necessarily think like I should be rubbing my clit with one finger and putting another finger inside myself because that's how people masturbate. That's not how a lot of people masturbate. I think a lot of people and I, especially women, um, part of it too is if you've never had an orgasm I mean this is part of what I do you know in sexological body work is if if you've never had an orgasm you also don't know what you're looking for right mm. right so I like to explain it this way first of all you know most women who do orgasm which is not all women certainly only have clitoral orgasms mm-hmm. so a clitoral orgasm I think is very it's it, it's a very hard thing to give yourself because you it's very it's like being a drummer you have to be <laughs> able to be like have your hand be active even if it's with a toy it's like your hand has to be doing something and then you're asking your mind mm-hmm. to not be overthinking because the moment you come up into your head you're not in your body right, right? and you know so you're tracking so it's a it's it's a it's it's not surprising that it's difficult right mm-hmm. because the actual mechanics of it are difficult i will say however that anytime you want to increase your sexual performance it's the body so if i want 
to have my bicep have a better shape. I can't, you know, I have to do exercises that are going mm. to mm-hmm. work it. Mm-hmm. And right. I certainly, if I want my bicep to be stronger, shouldn't only be training by doing calf <laughs> raises. Right. So if you want to have a clitoral orgasm, then you do, have, it really makes a difference to think about it. You know, if, if, you're, if you're stuck on, I don't masturbate, then don't think of it as masturbation. Think of it as training a part of your body for the activity that you want it to be successful at. And then it becomes a curiosity and an mm-hmm. exploration and not a, huh, am I doing it right? No, 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 no. Then all of the things that both of you have said Right. It's just a reframe. It's still the exact things. But if you can get past, uh, I'm trying to get to this outcome and it's more, you know, if I want to run a marathon, I have to right. train to run a marathon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Getting a vibrator. I would say that if I hadn't discovered masturbation at a very early age and been able to like use that, um, could be, well, for a long time, I could only come the way I masturbated, the one way I masturbated, which was with the heel of my hand rubbing really hard. And this, I only figured out worked for me as a child who liked to hump furniture. Mm -hmm. So I need a lot of hard, flat, direct pressure with my body weight on it. And that's not something you can easily mimic, like diddling your pussy on your back in a cute way. (laughs) So yeah, I would get very, very frustrated. Um, And I realized that the other good alternative for me where I can have orgasms in a couple minutes, whereas I'd never have them unless I did my childhood manner is just laying on a strong vibrator, you know, Uh is as simple as buying a toy for me to like 200%. And I'm already orgasmic, but just in general, yeah, I do want to go back to the toy thing. Toys can help. The other piece that I'll just interject is that it's very hard. This is why I call my work creative body release is that it's really hard to totally let go. Mm-hmm. you know, to, to let go of control. And I had vaginal orgasms before I ever had a clitoral orgasm. Mm. Be- and I think a lot of it was because it's much easier for me to let go mm. um, vaginally mm-hmm. than it is the, the stimulation, the intense stimulation of the, you know, around the clitoris. I just, you know, you have, you have that buildup and it's, I see it all the time with women. We get right there mm-hmm. and then the mind kind mm-hmm. of freaks out and goes, ah, I don't know. It's like, you're, right, so right, you're so Just close. Just keep doing what you're doing. Exactly. And Why don't is be it afraid going if away? you're going to pee mm-hmm. and don't be afraid, you mm-hmm. know, that like you, you have to, it's like going up that roller coaster and then you're right about to, you know, go down and you say, I'm getting off the ride. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you got to just, you got, that's why I like to think of it as training. Cause you got to commit to once you're strapped on, you're, you know, you're just going to go. That's why forced masturbation in kink stuff can be so fun and so cool. Because if you have difficulty reaching orgasm and you have a partner who says, well, I'm going to vibrate you until you're begging me not to. And you have a safe word, Uh you know, but if you're like, oh, no, I'm afraid to come, afraid to come. Oh, it's happening. Instead of like, (laughs) I need to come. I need to come. Why is it not happening? The other piece for this for this listener um, is. There are also times when women do have physiological issues. Mm -hmm. And if you are trying, sometimes it's easier for the mind to rule out those things. So if you have health insurance or if you can go to Planned Parenthood and what you need is to cross off the list is something wrong with me. Mm. 
you know, I, that's a very big piece for me is let's first identify anything that, because any behavior mod isn't going to work if there really is something going on with the body that's making it so that the nerve signals or the musculature isn't going to let you have an orgasm. So if you feel like maybe I should just get this checked out mm-hmm. for no other reason than to be told you're okay, take that off the list. Now it's a different discovery than mm-hmm. by all means, you know, be your own sexual health advocate mm-hmm. and find out. Hey friends, do you get sore muscles or stiff joints like us? How's your skin? Is it dry, itchy, irritated, bruised, or sunburned? If so, it sounds like you need some Nabalm in your pocket. Nabalm, that's N-A-E-B-A-L-M, is an all-natural skin and body balm handmade right here in Portland. Nabalm products use a base of organic olive oil and beeswax followed by an infusion of therapeutic essential oils, each of which provides all sorts of benefit. Oh yes, and they smell amazing. To learn more, check out nabalm.com or search Nabalm on Facebook or Instagram. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Visit her office in Portland or connect via Skype to take your intimate life to the next level. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. So to anyone who follows us on Patreon, thank you for your support. Um, Instagram kicked us off again. (laughs) Well, Instagram disabled links to our Patreon and to my website. So far, Strange Bedfellows PDX still links in the bio, but appreciate you guys who are still finding ways to listen to us and support us. Um, So let's lose a couple fans. I'm going (laughs) to I'm going to recap a statement that I made a couple weeks ago on Facebook And honestly, I don't remember what kicked it off, but I, as a sex worker, as a feminist, I see a lot of men are trash and I totally have felt this way. And there's plenty of dudes I wish I could kick into the sun, Um, but I've never participated in the men are trash attitude. And then when me too kicked off, I was really upset to see how many women were eager to either restrict the movement to be women only or deny male rape survivors their experience. And they you know, said stuff like find your own movement. You have to start your own. Um, so in the last couple of years, I have personally had the displeasure of knowing women who have lied about sexual assault, falsely alleged claims of assault against their coworkers or clients. And I also deal with a fair amount of entitlement and abuse from women where it's such a double standard. I mean, there was a woman the other night who said, I know I'm a girl, but, or no, I know they said I can't touch you, but I'm a girl. And this was after the bouncer had said, I've heard that so many times, right? Don't touch the dancers. Don't take photos. Um, and so when you, when you men are trash, everything, I feel like it misdirects energy by labeling an entire gender as abusive. And yes, there's a lot of shitty ideas about what gender means and how you perform it. So let's start dismantling them without blaming one gender. Dude, it also fuels the alt-right too. They love they love, dude, that, they shit. love that shit because then they can say, look, look, look what feminists Look at these do. women yeah. that are bragging mm-hmm. about assaulting men and denying them like happiness, which is like, yeah, totally legitimate. Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, also someone too, it's like who, you know, I have two, two little brothers um, I was raised by my dad and I'm just, I mean, I, there's a lot, I think there's 
lots of ways to critique the patriarchy without I don't know I, I'm just not really comfortable trashing exactly my little brothers it, it's hurtful it's exactly. hurt I know one of my me and my one of my little brothers have had a long conversation about this before about how it it hurts him when I I don't know when I post things on Facebook about how men suck or, or things like that and that well, and really? That really yeah and that really made me take a lens to my own behavior mm-hmm. because he's He's never hurt anybody. He's well, never and done I these have. And- what about trans men that are passing and then get double victimized? Not only oh, as people who man. grew up right. and then had to transition, so they've right. dealt with misogyny and sexism when they were female-bodied younger, and then after you transition, you're now an abuser. Oh, I never come even on. Thought of that. I, thought I of have that. friends. Okay. I have friends and they're like, well, you know, this kind of sucks. Didn't think about this. That does suck. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I just don't understand why we would say as a you know as a catchy hashtag slogan you know that anybody is trash Trash. you know i mean that's just not um how is that helping the conversation at all and you know i have i have sons i have grandchildren grandsons i work with boys i you know again you know the the comment that i made on Elle's post is that Mm -hmm. i don't feel like we can have this any of this conversation around men are trash or just the general conversation that's happening without really looking at how do we bring young boys into the world in the first place? You right. know, I, I have met many, my, my, you know, my father and my husband's included, you know, who had, you know, really, you know, toxic mothering. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, there's a lot of toxic mothering out there. And then working in the school system for as long as I did, um, you know, the you're, that's an environment that is almost exclusively female-led mm-hmm. in which it's entirely non-consensual, the activity mm-hmm. that goes on in a school building, you know. And I remember when my son was in middle school and we would sit around the table after school every day and all the boys would come over. We had tea time and the boys would come over and I'd say, you know, what would you learn in school today? Nothing. And I was like, well, I know you learned something, right? <laughs> you learned something about your teachers. You learned something about the other students. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones who, you know, they would always say, well, we learned, you know, that our teachers are hypocrites. Why are they hypocrites? <laughs> well, because, you know, I pulled my cell phone or, you know, uh, you know, Emily pulled her cell phone out of the backpack and was sitting there with her cell phone and the teacher walked right by her and didn't say anything. And I had my cell phone out because my mother just texted me. Right? <laughs> right. And, uh, and she, you know, grabbed it from me harshly, you know, threw it across the room and sent me to detention. Yikes. Right? There's definitely <laughs> women who enjoy, um, victimizing boys and men because of the trauma they have around boys and men. Mm-hmm. And and when we remember that a lot of people who engage in abusive behaviors are survivors of abuse, victims of abuse, I mean, it makes sense. So uh, it's, it's just like, it to me, it's just kind of pointless. Like, it's talk about the behaviors that people are doing instead of looking at someone and saying like, you're garbage because you're a man. And also a lot of the things that a lot of the people who say men are trash are also like young twenties women who do not have children. And so they don't have to think about not men are trash, but how do we raise our boys to be better humans? You know, people can find you write info at creativebodyrelease.com. For more Strange Bedfellows, check us out on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows and become a supporter for access to behind the scenes material and extra content. 
My name is Elle Stanger, and you can find me at stripperwriter.com and on Instagram at stripperwriter. And my name is Jen. You can reach me on strangebedfellowspbx.com.